It's good to be here with you. Uh, yes, I moved to Oakville, which is uh, near, I'm a little bit confused because I was told that this was the center of the universe, Toronto was. But I come here to Ottawa and I think people are saying that this is actually the center of the universe, so now I'm not actually sure. Uh, but it's good to be in Ontario, so I'm near something important um, anyway. And uh, it has been a smooth move, but it's been a very big move as well. Um, and, but I'm glad to be here, to be with you, and to be part of this uh, service of confirmations and baptisms where we're hearing about the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel, this glorious gospel uh, that he has given to us as well. It just shines out when you have the testimony of people wanting to follow and serve him with all of their life. Um, I have been praying for this congregation for a long time. You have gone through a very challenging year indeed. Uh, it was a year ago that I was here in the Synod and uh, Canon Brent welcomed the whole diocese in such a marvelous way and for him to die so suddenly was a shock and he was very much part of your family. Um, you know, almost like a natural family. The church family goes deeper. And uh, you have, have lost him uh, to heaven. And um, I am so grateful for Michelle and for Ben and their leadership over this past year. What a gift that God has given to you in that. And his grace continued even as uh, another rector, pro tem, uh, Bishop Charlie became sick as well. Uh, and for God to sustain you and carry you through that as we pray for Bishop Charlie, uh, is a, an example of God's grace for us. And I know Bishop Charlie would want you to know that he's finished with his treatments and um, he, is, uh, he is recovering from them. This is the toughest part though, because it's the cumulative effect. Uh, and God's um, mercy I see in him too, because uh, his faith in Jesus has just shined out uh, in an amazing way. It is strengthening to see how he is living through this uh, and believing in Jesus and how God is carrying him through, even as he has carried you. Uh, and also, what a blessing it was to hear about how you received a Ben as your new rector starting on December 1st. There's not too many times in ministry, a very few, where you get a standing ovation. So <laughs> you have to enjoy it when it happens. <laughs> but I'm glad to see that it happened as well. Um, so thanks be to God for his grace that I think just is like in relief when you see it shining out when you go through a challenging time like you have. Uh, well, I wanna go into Acts 17 here. And if you have a Bible in front of you, uh, look at Acts 17. Now I use the English Standard Version, which is very similar to the RSV, so it might be a little bit different, but it's very close. And um, we'll, I wanna go through this. It's really helpful to follow along. And I wanna say that, that um, the context of this, the Gospel of Acts, the very first verse in it says, Luke says this, he says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Isn't that amazing? He said, what's amazing? The fact that he said began. It's a very important word because Acts, that book of Acts, is about Jesus' ministry continuing in his followers, that they are ministers who are representing Jesus. 
they are actually living out the ministry that Jesus was all about. And that is about bringing the gospel into the world, healing people's relationships with God forever through the forgiveness of sins, and loving them with the love that the Lord Jesus has loved you with as well. So this is so important for us. And today it's a privilege to confirm and baptize uh, because those people standing up are saying that in Jesus I have found the treasure of surpassing wealth. It is the great treasure. And they are committing themselves to follow Jesus as his ministers. And the most um, uh, precious thing that they carry with them as ministers is the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the greatest gift that you can share, that I can share. And in, in our Acts reading today, Paul shares this gift. It's very encouraging to see how he does it. Uh, and what has happened here is that Paul has come down from northern Greece to Athens. He was on a missionary journey, and he's waiting for Timothy and Silas to join him. Now, I want us to tell you a word about Athens. Um, Athens, we think of as this great city, and it certainly is. It was only 20,000 people who were living there. I was in Pembroke uh, a couple weeks ago. It's a little bit bigger than Pembroke, <laughs> amazingly. But it's very impress impressive because in that city, you had the cradle of civilization. You had the birthplace of uh, modern medicine. Uh, it was also the place where you think of uh, democracy. It has its beginnings in Athens. It's the golden years, three or four hundred years earlier, uh, where all of this was happening, the foundation of philosophy as well. A place of incredible learning, incredible accomplishment, architectural marvels. Uh, even the ruins today, if you have ever been in Athens, are impressive, and you can imagine what those looked like when they were new, or even when they were only a couple hundred years old, gleaming monuments of human achievement. They're awesome to see. So it represents the highest of what humans accomplished. But in all of that greatness, there was one thing missing. It is the greatest thing. They did not know the God who made them. They did not know the God whose hands hold the universe and in whom we live and move and have our being. They didn't know him. And so Acts uh, 17 is a wonderful reading because Paul introduces that whole city to the living God for the first time. He introduces them to the God who makes himself known through that precious gospel uh, that we have today, that we carry today as a gift. And this gospel that uh, Paul preached was very simply that Jesus was crucified for our sins in our place that he rose again as Lord over everything, even over sin and death, and that he frees us to know God forever as his adopted children, as his saints set apart for God, and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, in that gospel, people throughout the world can know the greatest joy, and that is the joy of the forgiveness of sins the joy of being at peace with God himself forever. Uh, and so um, uh, 
I want the confirmation, the people who are going to be confirmed and the newly baptized to know this, along with each of you at St. Peter, St. Paul, is that your ministry, your ministry is to give the great blessing and treasure to others in your life. And that great blessing and treasure is that gospel, the gospel of Jesus. And God gives three things to Paul so he can do this, um, so he can bring this treasure to other people. He gives Paul, number one, a grace-filled heart. Secondly, he gives him a bridge. And thirdly, he gives them the message, the message that changes worlds, that Paul says, this is a gospel um, that is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. He gives him that message. And I want to just look briefly at those three things. <clears throat> First, God gives a grace-filled heart. Well, Paul has come to Athens. He's waiting uh, for Silas, but he doesn't just sit around in a waiting room. He actually goes around the city, and he looks at what is going on. And when he spends time in that city, something happens to his heart. Look at verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. Now, that word provoke has the root. The root of the word paroxysm comes from that word in Greek. And it's saying that, all, in a sense, Paul had a seizure in his heart. Um, he could see a city is full of idols, more idols than people, literally. And they were designed to bring people success. But... Paul is seeing that they're devoting their lives to things of no lasting value. And Paul has such a strong reaction in him that it's like almost having a heart attack. Uh, his heart is turned upside down. And the reason for that is that his heart is filled with two things. It's filled with a desire for God. You know, he's gripped by the vastness of God's love and his mercy and his holiness and his beauty. And uh, he first experienced that, as you know, on the way to Damascus. He was literally knocked off his horse by that uh, glory of God. He wrote, in fact, to the neighboring city of Corinth, um, he said to them, For God has said, who has said, let light shine out of darkness, he has shone into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is filled with. He wanted people to not be in ignorance and missing out on that glory of God that he was gripped by. He believed that Jesus deserved all honor, glory, and, and goodness in this world and thanksgiving. It's what we're made for as people. And that's why at the very end of verse 18, if you look just down to the very end of verse 18, you can see Paul spoke constantly about Jesus and his resurrection glory. Those are the things that he were talking about. He wanted people to see the glory of Jesus. He was gripped by that. And then secondly, his heart was filled by a deep love for those who didn't know Jesus. Isn't it amazing that he spent so much time with people in Athens? There's three types of people. First of all, you can see there that he was with the Jews in the synagogue on the Sabbath. He worshiped them. And he's with people who actually believed in God, the God of the Jews, the God of our Old Testament. And he, uh, and he reasoned with them to say, look, Jesus is the fulfillment of the scriptures that you all believe in. He is God himself. 
God who saves us. And then secondly, he had countless conversations in the agora, which is really the stock market of the day. It's where people bought and sold everything that was important, the way that they made money. It was also the gossip place. If you wanted to know what was happening in Athens, you went to the agora. And, um, and what he did there was to um, see that money was central in their lives, that they had things they were living for of no lasting value, and he had conversations with them. And the conversations went to Jesus, this great treasure. And then finally, he had lots of talks with Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. I don't know if they were the most exciting people in the world, um, but they were the people who uh, guided people in the big questions of life. And I'll tell you about the Epicureans. They didn't really think that gods were relevant, or maybe even real. He knew, they knew that they were unknowable. That's what they believed. And they believed that the world was due to chance, there's no life after death, there's certainly no judgment, and so they believed that human beings should pursue pleasure, and especially this serene enjoyment of life, detached from pain, separate from passion or fear, but to live for the good life. Kind of sounds like Canada. I think a lot of us are Epicureans in Canada. Um, but Paul turned all that thinking upside down. And he said, in Jesus, we know God. We know that we are created by God, that he created all things. We know that his love is poured on us, that he is um, uh, filling us with his Holy Spirit, that he is near us. In God, nothing's by chance. In fact, uh, in God, the greatest purpose for the world is the salvation of the world. And it is also our greatest need that he is meeting. Our great purpose then will be to glorify him and enjoy him forever, and he will judge the earth. So, Paul would say, God is incredibly relevant. He's the most relevant that you could possibly get to you Epicureans. And then the Stoics. Stoics believed God was an impersonal and transcendent principle. Uh, way before Star Wars, they believed in the Force. <laughs> um, the Force is all about Stoics. Um, and uh, it says that this Force governs and directs the events of the world to ultimate good. And you want to align yourself with that. You want to be self-sufficient as well. And uh, be in, in step with the fates and in harmony with nature if you're going to live a fulfilling life. Well, again, Paul turns that right upside down and he says God is the personal God who created each of us to love him, a personal relationship. In Jesus, we actually call God Father. We are adopted into his family as we are gonna see in the baptism today. Uh, and we are not self-sufficient. God sustains each of us. Every breath that you take is because God is working powerfully in you. Whether a person believes in God or not, every breath that they take is because of God's mercy and his grace in sustaining the world. And so true um, harmony that the Stoics look for can only come if you are at peace with God, if you know him as the one who is your father. And that will change the relationships that you have in this life. Because at the center, 
is the forgiveness of sins. So there's Paul's, Paul's heart. He's gripped by a passion for Jesus. He's gripped by a love for the people of Athens as well. May God help us to speak about Jesus. May God give us grace to have a love for those who are outside this family of God. Now, secondly, not only did God give Paul a, a grace-filled heart, he gave him bridges. So look at verse 22. You see how this happens. He says, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. That's Paul's message, that you can know God. And the reason that Paul perceives what's going on in Athens is because he cares enough to spend time with the people there to understand what they're about, why there are so many idols. And he actually affirms their search for God. And I have to say that you may not realize it, but there are actually people in your life who are searching for God. And they might be doing it in different ways, but that is a search that's deep in our hearts as human beings. He affirms that. And he affirms their insight that you don't know God. You cannot know God. It's the perfect bridge to say to people, I have found the unknown God. I didn't know him either until he revealed himself to me. And he does this for everyone. No one can know God on our own. But God is in his nature is to speak to the world, to speak to you and I. Uh, and and that's through God's word, and ultimately, and most wonderfully, it is through the word who is Jesus himself. He is God's living word. And Paul says, I want you to know that I know the living God, and that you can know him as well. That was his message. And you know, I think that God gives uh, bridges for you and I to speak. Um, and they're bridges that we look for. And I think it happens most often when we sincerely listen to the people in our lives, to listen to what they believe, what they fear, what they're concerned about as well. And in that listening, bridges come up for you. Um, and it can happen unexpectedly. A few years ago, uh, in the house we owned in Vancouver, we had to fix the side of our uh, house, which was all crumbling, and so as part of it, we had to get stucco done. So I arranged for a company to come, and the stucco company uh, came with the owner, came with his crew, and they did a great job. They worked very, very hard. Actually, the crew did almost all of the work, and the owner loved to talk. <laughs> and because I was there watching them, uh, we had conversations. And he was a real character, he talked a lot, he told me all about his life, and then he told me about his struggle with alcohol. And he said that he had given it up for the most part, and that things were a lot better for him. And I said, that's great. And he said, yeah, he said, you know, I didn't have a come to Jesus moment or anything, but I'm doing pretty well. And I said, I couldn't pass it up. So I said, you missed the best part. <laughs> and he kind of did a double take and said, are you religious? 
And I said, well, I believe in Jesus and that he changes everything. Um, so in that way, I am. He said, so you believe this stuff? And I said, well, yeah, so much so that I became a minister. <laughs> well, now, sometimes that can dampen the conversation immediately. <laughs> With him, it did the opposite. It made him talk even more. So it gave all kinds of openings uh, to talk about God. He felt very free to. And for two days, you know, while he was doing it, we, we talked about God, what, what people believe about God, what I believe. Uh, and it was a very, very good conversation about God and the church. In fact, I, I paid him in cash, and he gave part of it back. He said, give it to the church. <laughs> I said, okay. Um, but I want you to say, I want you to see that um, this was an unexpected thing. Uh, and it happened in the course of conversation, of listening to what was going on for that person in his life. And God gave an opening that I did not manufacture to speak about Jesus and that happens for us in your conversations with family, friends, or even strangers. As you love those who don't know God, as you listen to them, God gives openings, especially if you pray for it too. And I want to say God gives grace if you walk through those openings. He will give grace as well. It's the way people bring, it's the way God brings people to know them, is through those kinds of conversations. And that brings us to the third thing that God gave Paul. Besides uh, bridges and besides a grace-filled heart, you know, where he had this love for the Lord Jesus' passion and a love for people who didn't know God, uh, he gave Paul the message. And this is the treasure that we are all about. God gives a clear and personal message. Um, Look at um, verse 21. The leaders and intellectuals wanted to hear more about Paul because it was something new. And I love the way he puts it there. He says in verse 21, they would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. This is what they were all about. I don't know what they did for a job, but uh, that's what they were about. And so they bring Paul to this Areopagus. And some of you may have been to Athens. You can go to that exact place. And when you go up there, you see, you look over the whole city of Athens, and you see the glory of Athens. And that's where ideas were exchanged and talked about. Beautiful place. And the, um, the, um, the people who brought them there, the leaders of the city, wanted to judge whether his message was worth hearing or not. And we have the shorthand of that in the next few verses. Um, and because it probably took them hours of back and forth, talking over this. Uh, but it begins here in verse 24. And Paul begins by saying that there is a God who changed and who is in charge and he's created everything. That was the first part of the message. Look at verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands. That's what was going on in Athens. As though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So that massive Parthenon, which was a home for Athena, the great goddess, looms above the temple, uh, above Paul as he's speaking. And Paul says, we don't make a home for God. God actually makes a home for us. He created this world for us. Every breath we take is through him. And then secondly, he said God, God created people for a purpose, to know him personally. Look at verse 26. 
He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way towards him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. See, Paul is saying that people are created in God's image. That's how he created, to know him personally. And he is in charge of each person. He is close to you as well. You will not find what you are looking for until you find Jesus. You believe in him and trust in him. As Blaise Pascal said, uh, and many uh, people in high school and university kind of curse him a little bit because he, he invented calculus. Um, he said this. He said, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each person which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God, the creator, made known through Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is saying here. We are made to know him personally. And then thirdly, he says, this God is the living heavenly father who is calling to us. And he's calling to us to turn to him and away from sin. And we're going to see that in those who are going to be confirmed and baptized. We're going to see that said really clearly. And the way he puts it is this, verse 29, being then God's offspring, we not ought to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The time of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, to turn to him. So unlike idols, unlike human philosophy, God who created us personally, he speaks to us. And he urgently calls every person uh, to turn to him for real love, for the forgiveness of sins, for restoration, for new life in him. Turn to him is the message. And then the last thing he says, and we close with this, he says, that God who, who is calling us to himself will judge the world by Jesus who died for us. Look at 17, uh, uh, verse 30, right at the end. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising Jesus from the dead. That was the end of his message. And Paul is saying, you great leaders are not my judge. In fact, there is one man who is greater than all the learning, than all the leaders of this great city, he has the future in, our, in his hands, and he will judge the living and the dead perfectly. He will bring a new heaven and a new earth. All the concerns you have about the world are met in the Lord Jesus Christ. He will recreate it. This is the one that is worth devoting your life to because he is the only one who gives your life true purpose and true love. He is the only one who can bring you to know God. Turn to him because he is close to you. That is the precious gift of the gospel in us. And so as we leave this passage, may God fill your heart with his grace and his glory and his love 
so that you make him known to the people in your life, you know, so that you are gripped by the preciousness of this gospel. Thanks be to God for the gift of his good news. It is the wonderful, precious gift that you can give. To God be glory, honor, thanksgiving, and praise now and forever. Amen.